Welcome to Commas. Commas is all things tech. Culture and technology coming together. Life hacks. The practicality right now in the inefficiency of the internet of buying and selling stuff is extraordinary. Entrepreneurship advice. I think the first thing is you got to understand your business inside out. Love and tech. We've almost reduced dating to kind of this very momentary snap of a person. It's going to be a fire show. I have yet to see something these days that's truly differentiated. New advice and new inspiration every show. It really is about the next generation of creators going faster, further than we did. And now, Sequoia Blodgett. Now let's start stacking them commas. On this episode, we teach you where to place your marketing dollars. We'll hear from a founder who created a platform that allows you to build an app with no experience. And we'll help you understand what not to do as a first-time entrepreneur. Entrepreneurship advice. <laughs> Learn from the hottest and most successful investors, founders, and innovators in the game. Determine your greatness. It's time to get your knowledge up. Okay, okay, for sure, for sure. What's poppin'? We've got a special guest on the line. She's a social media guru who has mastered the art of getting you leads for your business. And we all know that leads equal customers. Welcome to Commas, Leisha. How is it going? It is going great. I am so excited to be here talking to you right now. Me It's going to be so much too. fun. I know, I know, because people just really don't realize, like, what I've come to understand is when people say I have a business, they normally mean like I have a website or I have a platform or I have something, but they're not necessarily, they don't have customers, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so this is going to be one of those times where we can actually get them to the sale. So I really want to jump into this. So first, before we do, tell us a little bit about your background. Yeah. So I have one of those crazy backgrounds because I kind of came out of college during the recession. There were like no jobs. So, um, so I did kind of start, end up starting my first business right out of college. Um, it was a brick and mortar. And after being stuck in one place for 12 hours a day and kind of like ball and chain sort of thing, mm-hmm. I was like, I'm never going back to that. I went straight to figure out like how I could get into the tech industry. Um, so I had to get really creative. Um, but you know, fast forward several years and I found myself working for a nonprofit in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, and that was back in like 2015. And part of my job there was where I first got introduced to the whole social media management concept. Um, and I was actually helping to create content and manage a Facebook page for them. Nice. You know, so I kind of, yeah, I kind of like dipped my toes in the water at that point. Um, and of course, as you know, tech moves really fast. So yeah. Media, just in general, um, changes really quickly. So I ended up moving on from that job and moved back to North Carolina when I got married Yay. at the end of 2016. Yeah. So um, North Carolina is my home state. And I was excited to be back. But again, I was kind of in a place where I had to get creative. Um, And that was when I first started looking back again at starting up my own business and really getting into the whole online business world. And um, yeah, I so I really started my own online business focusing on uh, web design and, you know, took on some projects there and did some branding. Um, but I kind of was working part-time. I was doing like the part-time job thing while I was building my business. Um, and that was with a local spa. It was a really um, neat environment to be in and just, you know, able to have some flexibility. But I knew ultimately I was going to transition out of that, right? So um, 
that that business uh, just really needed some help with social media at the time. They were working on finding clients um, since they had just opened maybe a few months before I came on um, to work with them. So kind of like they knew what my background was in and that, you know, I was uh, doing a lot of um, like stuff online and the owner had no idea really like, I mean, she knew how much uh, Facebook could really do for her business, but she, it just wasn't her thing. Um, she's not really uh, somebody that wanted to be involved so much with the tech side of the business and the marketing side. So that stuff fascinates me, of course. And um, I was just ready to, to jump in and, and to start uh, helping them to get clients through social media. So that's kind of really where I got started, um, you know, just really digging in the whole business side of social media management and added that into um, to my business online also. Very cool. So let's break up the difference between social media marketing and social media management so people kind of know the variations. Yeah. Um, so I think for me, like social media management, there are a lot of tasks associated with making sure that, you know, a social media account is set up right, that, um, you know, there's also an advertising component to it. There is your page, you know, just making sure that you have all the visuals and the content on the page. Um, and, you know, really just having someone that can be the go-to to be able to push out the posts and to write the content, create the visuals, all of that. So that's kind of, you know, management side of things. Um, as far as like marketing goes, you know, we can go into paid advertising. We can uh, really talk about like some strategies that we can use to bring in clients with the content that, um, you know, the manager is working on and creating and um, just p- positioning your business in a way that you're going to attract your, your ideal audience. Yeah. And I think that's where people get confused, right? They're like, okay, I'm going to try to target this customer. And a lot of times there's no clarity on who that customer is. So how do you help them figure out one, who that customer is, and then how to actually get to the customer? Yeah. um, So a lot of that comes from just really um, being consistent with posts that are on the page and looking at, you know, what, what are the, uh, you know, who, who are the clients like that we already have coming in the door? What are they into? Um, and then also just, you know, kind of helping them to see where they might be missing some of their audience. There's, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of different ways that we go about, but a lot of it is just really kind of, we were talking to people coming in the door, um, at the spa and learning what they were into and, um, you know, kind of figuring out where they were hanging out outside of, you know, when they came in to visit. So basically, you're collecting a lot of the data from the brick and mortar and then using that online to kind of target the customer. Is that the case? Yes. Perfect. And you know what's interesting to me? I feel like people don't realize how powerful Facebook ads are because, I mean, Facebook has over a billion users on the platform and then it can get so targeted down to what you, you know, spent online last week. (laughs) It gets very targeted. So talk a little bit more about how you can actually utilize ads to get to that customer and make that lead turn into a conversion. Yeah, so... There, I could go on and on about this. Um, <laughs> I heard that deep sigh, like, girl, <laughs> that's a lot. <laughs> it's kind of like, where where do I start with, with that idea? Um, you know, basically, look, just um, really kind of starting with um, 
I guess like going into uh, your engagement and looking at like how people are engaging with you and um, using that as kind of like starting, if you're just starting out, you know, using that organic engagement to, to build up a little bit of, um, you know, hype around your brand or your business. Um, and then kind of transitioning that into, uh, into your paid advertising because you're going to get a lot of information from those people that are already organically engaging with you that you can then go into all of the, the tools that you're, um, you can set up with your Facebook ads essentially to, um, to target them with. So, uh, there's just, you know, the demographics that you can look at, um, from the people that are already uh, engaging with you. There are, uh, the interests and the behaviors that you can also just really think about and kind of tailor to, to the audience that, that you already see kind of coming. I'm like a big fan of kind of building off of what you already have versus mm-hmm. kind of like, trying to throw spaghetti onto the wall and seeing what sticks. Right. Um, and, and just like having that, that knowledge of what's already working is going to help you target the people that are going to get you the most return on your investment when you go into paid advertising. So you recommend that people don't even pay at first. They kind of just organically figure out who that person is. And then once they do, then utilize that data and that information to actually get to the customer with paid advertising. Yeah, I, I do recommend that, um, especially for you know anyone who is starting up something from scratch and really trying to define their audience. Of course, if you know, you know, if you have a pretty good idea about like the the specific um, targets that you can use within your Facebook ads, then it doesn't hurt to go ahead and start testing out, you know, with small increments of um, of advertising dollars. Um, that can really just help to further validate and you should be able to scale once you've tested your your audiences and learned what um, what targeting factors work best. Let's talk about retargeting because I think that's so powerful. And so for the folks out there who don't know re- what retargeting is, essentially it's when you go on somebody's website and then you start seeing them everywhere. Like they pop up in your feed and they're at breakfast with you. And then they they are doing all these other things. Like wherever you go online, they're kind of there, right? So let's talk about retargeting and how that happens and why that happens and why it's super necessary for a business that's scaling. Um, so we use retargeting in my most recent campaigns that I ran for holiday sales. And um, that is so powerful because you already know that the people you're retargeting have seen either your ad or visited your website. And so you can kind of take that and understand that they're interested in what you have to offer to some extent. Um, you know, generally, the more people can see what you're offering and see what you're about, the more likely they are to buy from you. And that's the whole entire goal of running an, uh, an ad campaign uh, when you want conversions. So retargeting those people, um, you know, either with like a specific offer that's going to get them to come back or, um, you know, just giving them some more information about your product or your service, that really does go a long way. Um, so if you haven't really figured that out yet, I would highly encourage you to do that. And that's something that's set up through what's called a pixel. So essentially what yeah. will happen is, A pixel is set up on the back end on your page. And then when somebody goes to your page, then that pixel tracks you, right? Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, 
and and you can track different events even with that pixel. I mean, you can get really granular <laughs> with uh, <laughs> even 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 uh, you can even retarget people that have maybe just filled out your payment form on your website. Uh, you can use a, a an event to track that and then set that up uh, to retarget people who started making a purchase but didn't complete it. Right. It's, it's really awesome and it's super powerful. That's cool. And so with ads, I know a lot of people are like, well, how much money do I invest? Do I put in $10, $200, $2,000? Like how much do you recommend somebody who's just starting out invest into their ads? It really depends uh, how how much you want to test and how much you're willing to spend on testing to find what's going to be the most effective. Um, but, you know, I really recommend like don't spend more than what you're, you're comfortable with, but get a little uncomfortable with it to really figure it out because, um, ultimately, and, and I really, I really don't like to approach it as far, um, from the, I don't really like to approach ads just starting out from the perspective that if you put in a hundred dollars, you're going to get back $200, you know, from right. the customer. And I think that's kind of, um, that's a concept where I see a lot of people that are managing ads making a mistake is that they automatically assume that. There's so many factors uh, that that affect your ROI for Facebook ads that I would just start um, incrementally testing. You know, if it's like $50 for an audience or you want to A-B test your audiences um, to start with or your creative, you know, that's going to be that's going to that should give you some insight if you just let it kind of run for the seven day period so that you can capture the data and, and see what's coming back. I think that's a great point. A lot of people test and they're like, okay, I know if I put this money in, I, actually a lot of people skip the testing. They're, they just assume like if I put this money in, I'm going to get the money back versus like, yeah. oh, I'm going to have to allocate a couple hundred or maybe thousand dollars to even get to the point of understanding that this is the right customer, right? So I call that like yes. pro- product ad fit, <laughs> you know, like, a, like you have like product market fit, like it's product ad fit, <laughs> like you're now talking to your customers. So then you can utilize once you do that, you can actually scale. So definitely think about adding, you know, some extra budget in there to actually get your ads to where they need to be. And so what type of results should people be looking for when they finally hit that product ad fit? So, you know, if you are going to be testing an audience um, and want to get some, you want to look for some engagement from them. And when you're, uh, <laughs> when you're getting uh, your lower, um, you know, the lowest amount you can get for per impression or per link click that, um, you know, you're able to get within like that seven day time frame, that's kind of like a really good sweet spot to say, you know, Let's move forward with this factor that I'm testing out. Um, you know, because essentially you want to be paying the le- the least amount possible for your result, mm-hmm. right? So do that A-B testing um, factor. Uh, use that A-B testing factor to determine, you know, what's, what's like the least amount that I can pay for a result. Yeah, that's kind of, that's essentially the gist of it. Okay. And then how, I know we just talked about like product ad fit and getting the result. What range should we be looking at in terms of a conversion or a lead in terms of the spending on the cost per click? You know, it really, it really depends on what your, um, what the profit you're gaining from the product is. Like for some people it's worth 
it's worth it to them to spend like say say they're selling a package just for an example um say they're selling a package that's worth like $79 and you know they have they might have an opportunity after they sell that package to like upsell to the client they just need to get that like $79 um sale they might be willing to invest like $20 you know, for that conversion, uh, for that, that cost per conversion to be able to get that $79 sale and then have the opportunity to upsell or sell a membership and like keep that client. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So it really kind of depends on the, the profit that you're looking for from whatever you're selling. Like if it's a, um, let me think of another example for you and see if I got something. Um, you know, if it's like, and it, 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 we'll raise the the amount. Like, if it's a one hundred dollar product, if you if you want to, you know, run your campaign and your cost per conversion is fifty dollars, you know, I mean, that's like that's a fifty percent, um, you know, raise in in what you are um, your investment. So, you know, that's that's really, you know, what is what is the the cost that you would be happy with um, acquiring that client or that sale for. Mm. Um, and that's kind of, that's the way that I would look at the range of, um, of your results. So as long as it's not more. <laughs> yeah, as long as it's not more. Um, now, you know, you, of course, when you're running a reach campaign and you're just trying to really get the word out about your product or service, that's going to be where you're kind of like investing money up front, right? Because you, you're really just, you know, trying to market your name and get it out there so people ha are aware. Um, and then, you know, that's not necessarily with the goal of getting a sale from that, but you understand when you go to invest something, um, invest your dollars into a reach campaign that you are eventually going to be getting some of those, um, some of that uh, reach back as sales. Right. Okay. So just to put it in context, what should people be expecting if they were to utilize your services or, or maybe give us an example of some really successful campaigns that you've done? Yeah. So I've had, um, just, just in general, like consistently, I've had campaigns that get like five to six times the return on investment if they're, uh, conversion campaigns. Working with me, like I, I'm really someone who is like an all encompassing, um, you know, Facebook, social media manager, and then, um, marketer. I really encourage people that work with me to have a consistent presence. So what that looks like is you have, you're posting at least once, once per day on your channel that you're advertising from and trying to like bring traffic to. So that way, you know, people are going to be used to seeing you and see that you're active, that you're not just trying to like scam them for a dollar. <laughs> and um, that just, that just really, again, going back to the idea of like creating that organic engagement, like that really makes your ad campaigns just soar um, from what I've seen with my clients and um, the successful campaigns that I've run for them. You know, I have like some people that I work with, they literally are just fine with like, you know, three posts a week. I just want to like be a little active here and there. Maybe they're not quite ready to go all out, but um, yeah, I mean, when someone works with me, they're getting the whole like shebang basically. So one of the most like successful campaigns 
uh, over the holidays, really like we have been working on building up their client base over the whole year. And we started planning that campaign back in October and testing out the audiences and the creative and um, just you know, when I say creative, like the um, pictures and videos that we were going to use as part of the ad. So, you know, it's really, it's really a strategic process with me. And it's not like, it's not like I'm just going to go and throw your money in, uh, into the universe and see what comes back. <laughs> so, you know, when you, when you work with someone who, who is going to uh, run your, run your campaigns, like they really do need to have an understanding of your current audience. And, um, you know, I think that is kind of one of the biggest reasons that, that I like to have, my hands on the Facebook page also. Awesome. So what I also, you know, really like that you pointed out is a lot of the times people need to get to know you as a brand or your product or service. So they need to know, like, and trust you, right? So you can't, yeah, you can't just put that one post up every two weeks and hope for the best because people are like, okay, so unless you have like, post prior to that right but just having right. the one piece of content out it can look a little sketchy <laughs> so yeah so yeah. i do like that you pointed that out yeah i think that's so important um if you're in it for the long run now i know there are a lot of people who might be drop shippers for example um if you are familiar with the term drop shipping that are just trying to get a product out there to sell and um a lot of them use facebook ads to do that and, you know, I, I think that you can also be successful in that way. But, um, yeah, like I really do believe in that know, like, and trust factor and building that for my clients. Yeah. So um, just besides being hands-on with my customers and clients, I am launching a course. So that way I can share this knowledge for, you know, just a fraction of what it would cost to work with me one-on-one, of course. Um, and really, this is just great for people that want to learn the ins and outs of running a successful Facebook ads campaign. Um, and it's in, a, in a, a group setting taught live. So I'm right there every step of the way. And it does in, it is going to include a one-hour strategy session with me. So I will you will have a chance to get that taste of what it's like to work hands-on with me. Um, but you'll be able to take all of these um, strategies and tactics that um, that I've learned, and just simplify your Facebook ad strategy and take it and um, and do it yourself. So awesome! So for somebody who's interested in using your services, how can they contact you? How do they get in touch with you? Yeah. So right now, you can um, either email me. Uh, I have social media at LangstonDesignCo.com is the best email or you can find me on Instagram just at Leisha Langston. And then I'm also living on Facebook at Langston design. Um, so there are lots of options. This is the plug. You know, who's the plug. It's time to get caught up on the hottest in tech. Keep it locked. You heard with Sequoia Blodgett. I see you little mama. 
All right, so I know you guys have been streaming a lot of content, but I have the plug for you. There is this bum show that's coming to Showtime. It's an original comedy series called Black Monday from executive producers Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg. It's 1968 Wall Street. Bad fashion, big hair, and even bigger egos. The old boys club has all the power until an unruly group of underdog traders decides it's their turn to be on top and accidentally causes the biggest stock market crash in history. It's starring Don Cheadle, Andrew Reynolds, and Regina Hall. Black Monday premieres Sunday, January 20th at 10 p.m. only on Showtime. But here's the plug, you guys. You can try a free month of Showtime by going to Showtime.com and entering the code LIP. This offer is for first-time subscribers only and expires February 24th. So get on it. Yo, 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 yo. Love, life, and tech. With Sequoia Blodgett. Just part of our culture. Because balance is real between the swipe culture, mental health, personal growth, career, and just about everything in between. Just keeping it real. It's a lifestyle. Incredible vibes, incredible people. Love, life, and tech. What's good, you guys? Bruce Hamilton is in the building. What's up? Hey. He's the founder of Wing Zero, a company that encompasses several tech brands, but today we're going to focus on his company, Dolly, a powerful mobile app builder for iOS and Android that allows you to create your own app in minutes with no coding needed. That sounds so, like, fancy. I never looked at it that Hey, so how are you? What's going on? I'm doing good. Um, you know, life has been really great since my transition to tech like two years ago. Okay. Um, but no, since the launch of Dolly, everything's just taken off since then. Tell me so about I really can't complain. I'm not I'm not mad at that. Tell me about your transition. What was your background like before and now with it being in tech? So before I worked in the music industry, that was like my me too. Dream. Oh my god! Okay, let's talk about this. This is <laughs> well, I'm sure we got some stories. <laughs> you know, like, Special over the past over the weekend, we got stories. <laughs> so tell me about all that. Um, so I've always wanted to work in the music industry since I was like a kid. Um, I went to Florida State, studied history, started interning at the local radio station. I believe it was like one hundred two point three, blazing one hundred two point three. Started out as like a promotions intern. Worked my way up to like reading the news on the radio and doing board operating. And I realized I didn't want to do radio because like the transition was like very slow. You'd have to like, someone has to die or get fired for you to get promoted. <laughs> so I was like, no, I don't want to do that. You're like plotting somebody's death in the back. I know, right? <laughs> That's kind of how it works. So I realized I didn't want to do that. But then I discovered kind of the A&R position. I realized I was actually doing that with my friends. Just like finding talent super, super early. Just telling all my friends like, yo, you got to check this guy out. I remember when I was like, when Wiz first came out, this is back when he dropped like the Prince of the City mixtape. Oh wow! And I was like, "Yo, this dude's gonna blow up." And everybody was like, "Nah, nah, nah." I'm like, "No, just wait." And sure enough, he's like one of the hottest hip hop artists. So I was like, "All right, clearly I got like I got an ear for talent like that." So I went to Full Sail and um, Full Sail University in Orlando, got a degree in music business. Okay. And while I was there, I was doing some internships at record labels and did a Kickstarter campaign. Was managing an artist, raised ten thousand dollars on a Kickstarter. Use that money to fund a uh, recording of an album, then did a tour of book dates from Orlando up to Montreal, back down to New Orleans, and realized that was what I wanted to do. So then I got a job from literally the week after graduated from Lab Nation, which brought me out to LA ah. to be social media coordinator. Got to Lab Nation, and two days I was like, I hate this. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, actually, 
<laughs> but then I got lucky because then I got a call from Epic Records, my first day at Live Nation. And luckily, Epic and Live Nation, it was like five minutes away from each other in Beverly Hills. So I went, did my interview there. They loved me and it was like, yo, we want you to come over here. So then I left Live Nation, was at Epic for about two years, uh, was an A&R scout, was like, I was blessed to work with some amazing talent like Travis Scott and Fifth Harmony. Um, and then I left that, decided I wanted to do a talent management company because I'm an entrepreneur at heart. So I wanted to do a talent management company and just have my own thing. I did that for two years managing artists and then realized I wanted to do something different. And I I had this epiphany. I'm 32 now, but at 30, I had this epiphany. I was like, I wanted to show the world that black people could do more than just sports and entertainment. So I was like, all right, let me just like figure something out. And I've always been kind of like a nerd as a kid. I was always playing with computers and all that. And I realized, like, at a very early age, back, remember back when MySpace was huge? I do. I didn't realize, but back then, that we were all coding. Yeah, yeah, we, we, we just didn't, really didn't know. That. Yeah, we yeah. were coding. So I realized that was something I was into. And so how I got into tech, um, I started working on this social music platform um, that was developing with some people. And it was going to be a way for music producers and songwriters to easily get placements or, like, get together and, like, create on a platform. So we had spent like a year working on that. Um, and then I, once we finished the platform, once we got the MVP together, I looked at it from like a consumer perspective and realized this platform is so convoluted that no <laughs> one's going to want to use this. Like, you're just going to get on here and you'll be like, well, I'm here. What do I do now? And so we ended up just scrapping the whole thing. Wow. How long were you working on that for? Uh, sh- almost a solid year. Wow. Working on that. So then I decided to scrap that, but then just kind of moving around LA, I realized social, social media, like following is kind of a currency here. So I was like, okay, there's a way I can monetize this. So then I created Crowdboost, which is a uh, Instagram growth service. Okay. So we help our users organically build their followings and their engagement. So I launched that actually while we're in the middle of doing the development of Fishbox and then like Crowdboost took off. So I was like, oh, this might be my lane. Tech, tech might be where it's at. So how I got it, how I created Dolly was while I was doing that and people people were kind of getting word that I was building like an app because uh, the social music platform was called Pitchbox. So people were getting word that I was doing an app. So people would come to me all the time. Hey, I have this app idea. I want to do this. I want to do that. Can you like give me some advice on how to do this? So I, after doing my research on trying to develop apps, I realized that typical app development between 50,000 up to like half a million, depending on like how complicated your platform is going to be. That's real. So when I would tell people this, you would see their dreams shatter <laughs> almost instantly. They were like, um, actually? So after like seeing the 20th person just see their dreams just shatter when I tell them that, I was like, there has to be like an easier way to put this together or to like develop apps. So just kind of taking my prior knowledge, I went and I knew there was existing pieces of technology that we can kind of piece together. So I ended up hiring some developers overseas and was like, hey, I want to put this, that, and a third together. And then a couple months later, we got Dolly. We launched in April 2018. So we're approaching like our year anniversary, actually. Well, so how is it going so far? It's doing really well. We have 10,000 active users. Over a thousand of them have like launched apps on our platform. So it's doing really well. And now um, brands are reaching out to us to build custom apps for them at the moment. So right now we're working on something for a W Hotel. 
and a couple other brands right now we can't name at the moment. But as soon as they launch, we'll let you know. But yeah, we're working with some really big brands right now. So that's actually going to lead into phase two of Dolly. So Dolly is the the mobile app builder platform. And then we're also going to have our custom app development. So say there's something that's not on our platform that you want to add. Instead of us, instead of you going and like creating the whole app from scratch, we'll take the existing parts of our platform that we have and then we'll custom create a feature and just plug that in there. So it will actually end up being cheaper than like building an app from scratch. And so we're going to start our pricing at um, $999, which is still very reasonable, reasonable for an for app. app yeah. So let's talk about your MVP because you had to hodgepodge some things together in order to get it off the ground. Yeah. So let's talk about what that process was like for you. Um, it took a lot of research, just kind of seeing what was out there. GitHub was like amazing during that. There's so many just like gems in GitHub that you can just use. Um, so yeah, we just picked up a lot of different things and like the whole plat, the, um, the apps on our platform based on the, uh, the Ionic framework. So we just kind of picked up that, found some developers, said, Hey, we want to put this in like almost like an open source platform, put it together. And it was, it was, it took a while to put it together. We had some errors here and there, but. I think, I mean, we're still like fine tuning a lot of things, but it's just, it's been an amazing process so far. So as a new user and somebody who's actually looking to develop an app, what's my process like when I log on? What do I get to choose certain features? What exactly does that look like? Yeah. So it's very easy right now. So you sign on, you just use your email, you go in and it starts with uh, templates. Like which template do you want to start with? You pick one and then you go in and there's a list of features. From video, audio, um, I'm like drawing blanks right now. What's on it? We have some of everything. Um, e-commerce stores. And so you just go and you pick and choose and you add it. And you can literally customize your own app. You can even create a custom page. So you want to add several different features to just one page on your app. You can do that. Um, and so once you create what you want, you can literally adjust the coloring, add your app logo, uh, do your splash screen, which is like the first screen people see when they open your app. Um, and then from there, you can go right to, um, you can download the APK and we uh, compile your app for you for iOS. All you have to do is take that, submit it to um, Apple and Google. So you will have to create your own developer accounts. And that's something Google and Apple, that's like necessity. Their thing, yeah. Um, so at Google, it's a one-time fee of $25. You have a developer account. But Apple, it's a annual fee of $99. And you submit it there. Um, it's normally about a two-week approval process from them. And then your app's in the store. And then you can go back in your dashboard because we have a detailed analytics dashboard that shows where your users are coming from, what iOS they're downloading on, um, detailed sales records, um, what features are being used the most. And you can really just make smart business decisions just from your, your dashboard. And you can update your app from there, too. So you can update it on our platform. And it'll automatically upload, it'll automatically update your app in the app store and users on their phones. You don't have to do anything extra. And you can do push notifications too. So say, say you have a store and you're like, oh, I'm running a sale. Instead of doing typical email marketing, you can just send a push notification to all the users that have your app. Say, hey, we have this code on sale for the next like 24 hours. And they know that because you push it right to their phone. So you guys, that's super game changing because I remember, so with my first company, we built an app and 
Literally, Apple would deny me every single time. <laughs> it took a month to get approved in the developer store yeah. when you're submitting an app. So do you have to go through that process of, like, are you guys guaranteed submission? Or is it like, okay, you got to go fix some stuff? Or how does that look? I mean, if you get denied, obviously, you can come back to us and say, hey, we got denied. No Apple will tell you why you got denied. Oh, I got denied so many times. We haven't come across that problem yet. That's great. <laughs> uh, but if there is a problem, obviously, you'll come back to us and we'll do it. anything that we can to get your app ready to go. How imperative do you think it is for a company to have an app? I think it is the most important tool to have in this day and age. With everybody on their smartphone, um, research shows there's 2.5 billion people, smartphone users in the world. So imagine just getting like 10% of those people, just having them download their phone. There's another report that shows every smartphone users look at their phone on average 150 times a day. Jeez. So, I, I believe that. I, I know. I mean, I'm probably going to look at it at least 200 times. Right. Like it's emails, text messages, all of that. So say you, say you, um, say you have a, a product that you want to push. Instead of doing traditional email marketing or giving like Instagram ads, why not just reach your consumer directly on their phone? And then you just cut out the guessing game because no one reads their emails anymore. There is so much spam in there. No one looks at it. But imagine being able to contact your consumer and tell them directly what you want on their phone. It's easily going to, you're going to have, one, you're going to have better customer retention and um, repeating customers easily. And you can handle customer service inquiries right there, right in there on the spot with your app. Because in our app platform, you have a messaging system too. So say users are having a problem, they message you via the app, you on the back end can address it, and then you 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 know you have a happier customer that way. I think it's imperative. I think the future of sales and marketing is through mobile, because everything is there. And I don't think we've really even like tapped the full potential of telecommunication just yet. So my question is, how are you driving traffic to that application? Do your does your platform help with that, or or is that on the the business? Uh, so you're asking, how do we help with? Mm -hmm. customers getting on. Exactly. So that's that's definitely on the user on how to like, <laughs> like get, So you're able to take good luck with that. <laughs> yeah, we gave you the platform to build it. We're, we're saving you like thousands, tens of thousands of dollars. <laughs> so take that tens of thousands that we just saved and you. And put it in marketing. Put it in marketing. <laughs> I feel it. I feel it. A hundred percent. So how does somebody gain access to that platform? Oh, it's very easy. You just go to dolly.io. It's D-O-L-Y dot I-O. Um, click build an app. And then you just sign in. I mean, you create a profile. Simply, you just add your uh, email and uh, email and password, and then you get started immediately. So my question is, what is the most interesting use case that you've actually seen come out of your platform? We've actually had a clothing line launch an app from our store, launch in April. So I would say they launched in like June. And for some reason, the, the name is like, it's, I'm drawing a blank on the name. But they've shown three times growth since launching an app. Because they're able to communicate with their customers right then and there on the spot. They don't have to like convince their customers via app or Instagram to go to their website. All they have to do is say, hey, download our app. You get everything you need right here. And you can just direct market to your customer right then and there on their phone. This is beautiful. There's no guessing game. Everything's just right there. So perfect. So I know you've had a conglomerate of other companies. So yeah. what are some other things that people should be checking out from you? Uh, so Wing Zero right now is our parent company. Uh, we just rebranded into that very recently. 
Uh, so we have Crowdboost, which is our Instagram growth service. Uh, that's actually driving the most traffic for us. It's like we're doing really well on that platform. Um, we're going to launch a sneaker marketplace app within the next couple weeks. Um, and then we're going to launch a creative agency probably before the end of summer. It's life hacks. Life hacking, baby. Tech tips and tools for everyday needs. Tap in. Control, copy these shortcuts and simplify your life. You heard us. You heard us. All right, what's up, you guys? So I know you guys have heard about this Fire Festival documentary. It's a documentary that aired on Netflix, and it's a perfect example of what not to do. So I have got some life hacks for all you entrepreneurs just starting out. As an early stage entrepreneur and you're just launching a company, you do not want to launch large. You want to launch small and take baby steps, right? So for example, with the Fire Festival, they decided they wanted to create an app. They decided that they wanted to have this massive festival to promote that app, which weren't in alignment to begin with, but we'll get there in a second. But when you're just launching your company, what you want to do is you want to start with a minimum viable product. So what they would have done is they would have started with their app first and obviously offered the opportunity to different artists to be on the platform. So maybe five to six artists at best, and then saw if they could actually market those artists and get them actual people booking them, right? Instead, what they did was they said, okay, we want to make this fire. We want to go, no pun intended, we want to go and we want to create this big festival on this massive island with a bunch of people who have never created festivals before in their lives. We want to take the top of the top, the hottest influencers, and we want to make this the party of a lifetime. So there was two things wrong with that entire scenario. One, it wasn't in direct alignment with the company itself. So if they would have started with actually maybe a platform where they could book the people through the platform versus having some random guy book these talents and these acts, they would have at least saw that the platform worked. And two, they should have started with a smaller group of people, maybe 100 to 200 top influencers and had it in maybe New York per se. I don't know. So having something so massive when no one has ever done what they're supposed to be doing ever in life is what really caused this massive disaster. There is something called brand ascension. And I credit my girl, Danielle Leslie, for this. And essentially, it's showing you how you're supposed to grow as a brand, right? So you start as a hobbyist, and that's literally you getting to know what you're building, maybe your product or service, but you haven't actually sold anything yet. Then from the hobbyist, you go actually to a professional, and that's you selling and you're getting money and you're getting products and services sold as a professional. And then from being a professional, then you graduate to an influencer. And that's when you're taking speaking engagements, you're doing bigger events, you're doing things that actually will level up the brand, right? And so essentially from there, then you're a brand and that's when you go and scale. With the Fire Festival, they started at the top instead of starting at the bottom, right? Billy, the founder of the Fire Festival and the Fire app, basically the entire platform, had already had entrepreneurial endeavors he was conquering or supposedly conquering. We don't really know, but he already had entrepreneurial endeavors. So he kind of felt like he could start at the influencer level and he was going to start marketing and he was going to start promoting before the actual product was built, right? Why are you doing that, Billy? Like, there's no reason. Like, you don't even have a product or service to even market to these influencers or to actually get it out there. It wasn't like the event was a product. 
the event was a byproduct because they wanted to use it to market this app that they were building out. So when you're actually building out a company, you got to start with your brand ascension. You have to start at the bottom, be the hobbyist, learn and master the craft. Then you go on to be the professional. And then once you're the professional, then you go on to the influencer level and then the brand and you scale the brand. So that's where he went completely wrong. He went and said, hey, I want to be the top of the top first. I want the vanity. I want the recognition. I want the flyest of the fly. And it ended up being just a massive disaster. Also, when you're jumping into entrepreneurship, failure has been amplified, exemplified. If you live in Silicon Valley, they represent the fact that you should fail and you should fail fast, right? So for Billy, he failed and he failed fast, but he failed massively. If he had started with a smaller event, if there were 100 to 200 people going into into the process, he wouldn't have failed so hard. He would have failed small, right? So if you're going to fail, which you're probably going to fail if it's something that you're doing for the first time, start small, fail at that, iterate versus, you know, learn from that failure and then iterate based off of that failure And then continue on and grow from there. But do not fail on a massive level where it's affecting like hundreds of lives. Like that is not even a responsible entrepreneur. So really think about that when you're going into building something out. Don't fail massive, fail small, but fail fast. What should have happened is they should have grown the app first and then essentially after the app grew and they had a customer base, then the festival should have grown out of the success of the app. So before anything, they should have found out if the business could actually make money. They should have put the app in the market, tested the app, found out who the customer base was, and essentially got customers, right? They should have gotten sales. And then eventually they would have grown and they would have scaled. But they skipped that entire part and they said, hey, let's use the festival to drive traffic back to the app. Well, in hindsight, there was no app because they weren't even finished building it yet. And then there was no festival. So at the end of the day, both projects failed. Had he just focused on building the app, then he probably would have been more successful. Events are a whole nother world. They cost tons of money. And contrary to popular belief, they actually don't make a lot of money in the beginning until they actually grow to scale. So you see the Coachellas out there, which is essentially what he was trying to do. And he was like, oh, Coachella must be making millions of dollars, right? We can charge all of these high net worth individuals and these wealthy kids and we'll make our money back. But the thing is, when you're first starting out, you're putting money into production costs. You're putting money into booking guests and speakers. You're pulling, putting money into these VIP guests, all of these influencers. So that money should have gone to the marketing budget specifically for the app and nothing else. So you have to figure out if the business can actually make money. So instead of creating this massive festival like Firefest did, why not just test the app? Why not go partner with a bigger corporation who's been doing this like a live nation and see if people actually want to book artists through the app? I understand that people would see Live Nation as competition because essentially it was disrupting their market in terms of booking, but Sometimes competition can be collaboration. So don't always think that your competition is a negative thing. Sometimes you can use that competition and actually innovate with your competitors. The main lesson here is to walk before you run. Billy didn't just run, he sprinted. And it landed him a six-year prison sentence and a bunch of burned relationships. All right, so if any of this rings a bell for you and you have tried any of this stuff 
Come on back. Come on back to us. We don't want you all over the place. Commas has got you. So log on to commasetheseries.com. We have a course called The Profitable Startup that will help you launch your company the right way. And to conclude this, no one under any circumstances, never, ever, ever, no one should take one for the team. If you watch the documentary, you know what I'm talking about. No, just no.